And we are back. This is the Fat Packs Podcast on the Beckett Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Eric Norton. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope that you're having a blessed one. I know that I am. Uh, just want to give a big shout out and thank you to our sponsors, King Ken at King Carl Sports Art and uh, Kyle over at Badger Breaks. Make sure that you're checking those guys out for your uh, art commissions and breaking needs. I know that uh, over in the Badger Breaks room, they're just tearing it up this week. They have so much going on. Uh, too much to list, actually. You need to go over there and check it out for yourself. Go to badgerbreaks.com or you can find them on Facebook. Uh, just search Badger Breaks in the Facebook Facebook search engine and you get added to the room. Tell them I sent you and uh, get get a part of get up in on the on the fun over there. Um, absolutely loaded show for you. Got two great conversations. I'm I'm really excited to bring this one to you. Um, we'll set that up just a little bit later. First, we need need to do new products and pricing. Uh, this week, new products wise. It's uh, it's kind of a fun one for me personally, just because I remember the first time this uh, particular product come out, uh, Panini and Case, 2016 Panini and Case came out, and I went, and I actually bought the first pack of Panini and Case in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I got a Dak Prescott rookie autograph, and it was number ten. Oh, I'm sorry, it was uh, a BGS nine. 2018 Panini and Case comes out uh, this week, and make sure you go and you pick that up. 2018-19 Select Basketball is out. Uh, love love that brand. 2019 Donruss Baseball is out. Uh, that one is loaded with all kinds of variations and, and, and short prints and different insert sets. Love the Diamond King look this year. It looks more of a, like a classic Diamond King. I, I, I can appreciate that. 2019 Super Break One Time Baseball is out. And then 2019 Sage Hit Football Premier Draft Low Series is out. Um, Sage, for a company that puts out one product a year, well, I guess two now, maybe three. Yeah, three. Uh, high ser- low series, high series, and then they have uh, Sport King as well. For a company that only puts out three products a year, they do a pretty good job of, of, with some staying power. So uh, don't sleep on those uh, Sage autos for your for your early draft picks, well, for your early draft pick fix in the in the NFL season. Go check them out. All those are new street this week. Make sure you grab some. Um, as far as new pricing goes, we got Outlander Season Three from Cryptozoic. <clears throat> I say this every time I talk about Outlander cards. I don't understand it. I watched the show for a little while. It, it got a little too too much for me. However, the way the fans react to that show and the way they, they react to buying these cards is unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. Um, it's, it's priced for you in your online price guide. I challenge you to go find a box of season one for under $1,000 that's not been tampered with or something in some way. It's crazy, absolutely crazy, and I just—it's a show and a fan following that I don't quite understand, even though I watched it. But for the non-sport world, it's—it's it's right there on top of the world. Um, all right, then we have two Star Wars products. Star Wars, <clears throat> Star Wars, uh, Empire Strikes Black, back, black and white is now priced for you, and then the other Star Wars product is. 2019 Star Wars Authentic is also priced. I just finished up, if you guys are collecting the 2018-19 Upper Deck Overtime Hockey uh, Wave 2, I've got that priced for you as well. You can go check out those pricings in your online price, or yeah, on your online price guide. Um, this, has been a, this has been a fun week uh, as some things have come to light and um, been talked about and we cleared the air. Uh, last week I mentioned... Uh, Big Shep seventy nine at Big Shep seventy nine on Twitter, and uh, they took a, they kind of took a run at me on their podcast or on their their live show, which is a very good show by the way. I actually reached out to Tim, and we we cleared the air, we got it all straightened up, and he is going to be uh, our our super collector of the month for uh, for March of twenty nineteen. He has one hell of a Royals collection, uh, more specifically uh, a George Brett collection that he he came on the show and we talked about, but more importantly. We got stuff straightened out, and I just I'm I'm really excited to bring that interview to you. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope for you guys to listen to as you as you learn about his Royals collection, why he collects uh, George Brett the way he does, and he's got a really touching Barry Sanders connection as well. So uh, that was a fun conversation. Uh, after that, we're going to end this end the show with Lewis from uh, Sports Card Exchange. He has got an eye on the hockey market right now that like you wouldn't believe. And he's really the guy to go to about Connor McDavid. So um, he he brings to you a conversation. This all stems from our Twitter poll. If you could start in the hobby today with all market knowledge that 
all current market knowledge, where would you start? What sport would you start with? Uh, baseball is going to win that poll by a landslide. However, I think you got for my money, it's it's basketball. But he he makes a very compelling ar- argument for hockey. Those conversations are coming up later in the show. However, before we get to those, we need to talk about our Panini 30 teams, 30 weeks NBA style. Team number 15 is the Atlanta Hawks. This is a a team that, like, I don't know a lot about the history of them. So I was, some of these names, I was like, who, who's that? I don't know. So let's find out about it. Team number 15, the Atlanta Hawks. The starting five, Lou Hudson, Cliff Hagen, Dominique Wilson, Bob Patet, and Lenny Wilkins. Coming off the bench, Pete Maravich and Dikembe Mutombo. The this is a team that for it's ahead of the Mavericks for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, this is a this is a team that I don't know a lot of these names. I mean, obviously, Neek is is right there, and Lenny Wilkins is right there, and Pete Maravich is right there, and and Dikembe is right there. Those, I guess that's four out of the seven. So I guess it's more than it, it is more than half. But these other guys, I don't know a lot about Lou Hudson, Cliff Hagen, and Bob Patet. Um, this is a team also that started out in Buffalo. I didn't know that. Let me run, run, run down the uh, run down the little synopsis here that, that Panini has come up with. The Hawks were founded in 1946 as the Buffalo Bisons, but it was it was when they settled in St. Louis as the St. Louis Hawks in 1955 that they really began to find success. See, I didn't know that they were in Buffalo or St. Louis. Only three years after arriving in St. Louis, the Hawks, led by Cliff Hagen and Bob Patet, defeated the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals in six games. Didn't know that. Patet put up 50 points in the series in the series clinching game. The Hawks experienced some of their best years in their first decade. They made the finals several more times. The legendary Lenny Wilkins joined the team in 1960 and quickly helped keep the team near the top of the league. They would eventually move to Atlanta in 1968, where they, the team featured exciting stars like Pistol Pete Maravich and Lou Hudson. They were they were an entertaining team for their new fan base of the in the 1970s. But the most exciting player in franchise history arrived in 1982, when the human highlight film Dominique Wilkins showed up in Atlanta. Wilkins was one of the most athletically gifted players to ever play the game. His dunking ability was legendary, but he was. He was also a dynamic scorer, thrilling Atlanta fans for more than a decade. For most of their history, the Hawks have been consistent playoff contenders, especially in the 21st century, where they were one of four teams to make 10 straight playoff appearances from 2008 to 2017. That is insane. I didn't know it. I I I had no idea. So uh, go check out the rest of it at 30teams30weeksnba.com. The team number 15, the Atlanta Hawks, they, they have a card-for-card card breakdown and stats of each player. Make sure that you go over there and check them out. All right, let's get started with our show. Uh, we have up first, uh, Big Shep, and then, of course, Lou from Sports Card Exchange. I hope this uh, is one that you guys enjoyed because I enjoyed uh, talking to both of these gentlemen. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jared with Pristine Auction, and you're listening to Fat Packs. All right, coming up here next on the Fat Packs podcast is an interview, a conversation that probably should have happened a long time ago, but it didn't. Um, that's my fault, but we're going to make it happen now as we bring in uh, Big Shep from About the Cards and uh, About the Cards podcast and uh, Big Shep Cards on on Twitter. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for being available on on short notice, man. Uh, I'm I'm always surprised at uh, how quickly people can make these things turn around. But with that being said, I notice a, a lot of guys in the business that you're in, I don't want to put your business out there, but in the business that you're in, can usually clear their schedule for like 20, 25 minutes. So is, is, that, is that something to come with the trade or, or were you just kind of uh, slumming it for the afternoon? No, no, it's, de- it's definitely, I like my, uh, what I do, my new role here, so I can make time for, for things, for personal appointments, and no one, no one bats an eye, which is nice. Nice. Very nice. Um, all right. So this is what we need to do. We need to do two things. You're going to be, uh, I told you, you're our super collector of the month because you have a very impressive Royals PC, uh, George Brett. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But first, I just want to clear the air with you. Um, we, you and I have done this over Twitter via direct message, but uh, I, just, I feel like it's important for, for on, at least on my side, to put this out here and get it clear. Um, I apologize to you, sir. I was a jackass. I, I 
if you can accept my apology, I think that would be great. And, we'll, and we, we can get into it just in a moment. But I need to let you know that I apologize to you. And I apologize to the hobby for the way I acted. Uh, no, I, you know, I accept that on every behalf. I mean, it wasn't an, uh, an apology I was looking for. It was just kind of one of those things like I just think that some things sometimes get lost across Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all, we've all been there where um, we're trying to translate something and it just doesn't come across in word where spoken word is a lot better than text, I guess. Sure. But I do appreciate you coming out and saying that. So, you know, I'm glad to be on today. We can kind of talk this out like we did last week and, uh, and get moving forward and, building this hobby, which is a community of really good folks, because there's, there's something I'd like to mention that's really happened this week that's made my heart grow about ten times. So. Okay. Go ahead, man. Bring it up. What do you got? What do you got? Well, one of our close friends, one of our listeners here, a guy that I've actually spent time with at Bice Music, Brian Bice, lost his seven-year-old daughter this past week. Okay. Um, she had some health issues, but it, something happened, and unfortunately she passed away. And you know, somebody started to go fund me for them, and a lot of people donated. But then the people in the hobby got a hold of it, started retweeting it. And there's there are folks out there selling cards and memorabilia and mm-hmm. donating that money to them. And it's, it's you know, he's reached out and said thank you. It's just been an amazing thing that a bunch of people collecting cardboard together on the Internet, you know, that maybe have never met Brian but have tweeted with him, have reached out and gone after and really helped out his family for medical bills and Whatever's left over, they're donating to um, the a charity that deals with kids with her condition okay. and research and stuff. So it's, it's been really great uh, to see just everybody kind of rally around him and support him in this time. It's a really tragic time. Do you, do you, Shep, do you know her name? Do you know what her name was? Her name's Car- yeah, Carmen Bice. Carmen Bice. Okay, so um, I, if you will, I'd like to tell you a story, if you, if you don't mind. Yes, please do. So... Um, Back in 2015, and some people know this, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but back in 2015, my daughter died. Uh, her name was Olivia Grace, and she was actually she was perfect. She was, and she died. She was born. She was born still on her due date. It was a very horrible and tragic situation. And to the point that you're talking about, uh, just the hobby in general. I, I think that the the term the hobby can get mixed up in a, in a lot of different feelings for a lot of different people but the hobby in general as we as a collective group of people uh the way they act and um just rally around people who are in, in, in tragic situations is absolutely beautiful and it's wonderful um i was new at beckett i mean i'd been here maybe a couple years but like my face wasn't really known out there yet and um Still, people from the hobby reached out to me who, who heard this story, and um, I'm, I'm going to just be completely honest with you. We paid for her funeral because people in the hobby helped donate to that, to that cause. Me, me and my wife were, were just grief-stricken, and we couldn't handle it, and um, we weren't really in a, a position financially to be able to, to shell out the money to be able to do that. With that being said, the funeral home that conducted the services, were they were... Um, they gave us a, a pretty steep discount because of um, because of we lost a child, but at the same time, it was still a financial burden that we weren't prepared for. You know, when you when you go to the hospital to have a baby, you think you're bringing that baby home, and um, yeah. that that just didn't happen here. So, um, to your point about how the hobby is great and how it how it rallies around people in times of tragedy, you're absolutely 100% correct, and that's why I love the people that I work with, that I get to interact with. And that's why I love the job that I do. Yeah. That's, that's, man, I, I just, my son's going to be 11 months old here, uh, in a few days. And I can't imagine like that story. And then also what Brian's going through and his family. And it just, you know, makes you hug your, your kids a little, a little tighter every night and be a little thankful. And, um, but it's just really, it's amazing to see people don't even know him have, have donated and reached out and said things. And that to me is, um, just with some cardboard people can like just people that put cardboard of guys, all big sweaty guys. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful place. And I, w- I just want to tell you, I'm happy to be sharing this space with you, sir, because this is a, again, we, this is something that I told you in a direct message, but this place is big enough. The hobby is big enough for all of us. Now, granted, it was funny. You said we're going to need a big room. It's exactly right. Yeah. But, uh, this place, <laughs> this is a, this is a beautiful gathering of, of, of like-minded people. And, um, it's it's just a real pre- pleasure to be a part of it. So again, thank you for joining me today. If there's ever an yeah. issue, please please let me know, and we'll we'll hash it out like okay. we're doing today. All right. 
No, definitely, yeah. Awesome. All right, let's talk. Uh, are you ready to move on? If you want to make any other points, I, I, would, I just want to give you the floor. Yeah, no, I mean, just real quick, I think we just kind of, we see things, we saw things a little differently, and I think that night I maybe just on my show that I was just a little frustrated with kind of what had been said and hearing your side of it and, and talking it out, I, I completely understand. I think that, um, you know, there are there's some things with your role there and some restrictions that I was unaware of, and it, and it does make sense, and I think that, you know, there is a place for, for everybody in the hobby to, to kind of find their own niche, and I think we both have, and... Um, you know, I appreciate you work. You know, talking it out and and standing up, and, and and that's the that's the biggest thing. And I feel that going forward, it builds a stronger relationship uh, between us and, and other folks. The hobby might have disagreements. It's, it's the lesson learned here is, um, you know, talk to talk to the other person and find out where they're coming from, and then you might be able to understand their shoes and their point of view better. And I think we're at that point now. I I, I totally agree. And with that being said, you made me think a little bit. Um, I, I said last week on the show, and I, and I, and I told you a message like we we're not we can't collect here, and that's not entirely true the way it comes off the tongue. Uh, we can collect, but we have to be careful about what we're collecting. And I've just you know what I've missed it. I'm, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. I've missed it. So I've decided that I'm gonna start doing what you were doing. We were talking off air. I'm gonna start picking up things that I had in my childhood that uh, I don't have anymore. So like all I have really to to my my real collection is a couple of 87 tops bo jackson cards and that'll segue nicely into what we're going to talk about but it's it's something that i miss so i think uh from that aspect you're right i it's it was hard for me to relate with some some folks so uh just as a gesture for myself i'm going to start collecting again so i can be more aware and more uh in tune with what's going on in the hobby that's very cool. I love the '87 Bo Jackson, by the way. It's it's a beautiful card, man. It's uh, uh, uh people who listen to the show, I'm sure they they get tired of me hearing it, it's, saying it. it. I say, uh, wood grain is sexy. I say it all the time. It's the sexiest set out there. I love it. It's absolutely. Oh yeah. It's absolutely wonderful. All right, but let's let's get on to uh, the super collector of the month. Uh, we have decided that you, sir, are going to be our super collector of the month. Let's talk about the Royals. Um, before we get into the collection, though, tell us a little bit of background about yourself, uh, where, where, you're, where you're from, and why the Royals. Yeah, so I actually grew up, I live in California now, and I've been here almost 30 years. Um, but growing up, up until about the age of 11, I lived in Kansas, and in the Wichita area. And, you know, there's not, there's not much to do in Wichita. I mean, you know, the Royals in Kansas City. And so, uh, as a kid, my dad and my grandpa we would make the truck up the four hour truck up to KC during picture day. And they used to have it where you could walk the outfield and take pictures of all the players. And at the time in the, you know, the early and mid eighties, George Brett was the, the one and only Royal and still is today. And everybody wanted to, to collect George Brett. He was the guy. He, I got to meet him. I have a picture once uh, back in 83 of me and Brett uh, together. He wasn't supposed to take pictures with anybody, but I was a little, little kid. And it's half his face and my little tiny face uh, that I had back then. And uh, ever since then, my mom said that I was just enthralled with, with George Brett. And I look back and shirts and, you know, jersey shirts of his and hats. And um, so that's the guy I collected as a kid. I would trade anything for George Brett cards. Uh, I once traded an 86 uh, tops Jerry Rice uh, for an 87 tops George Brett. So <laughs> okay. if that tells you any, and that was probably 1988 or 89. If that tells you anything, I, how much I loved Brett, um, you know, and so that just kind of grew. And I left the hobby like everybody it was in high school. Uh, the strike happened, and I wasn't really involved in baseball. I started playing football, and and you know, high school got in way in college. And I came back in about 2012, and kind of went through all my stuff. And I was like, man, I have all these George. So I started collecting more George Brett, and it became like a thing. Like, let's go and get one copy of every playing card or a card of his during his playing days. And so that's what I'm working on now, as well as um, trying to get a graded nine um, of every tops card uh, he appeared on. Okay. So, so about 70% on, on that as well. Wow. Already 70%, huh? I mean, have you, yep. f- with him being such a popular player, are you, are you finding that difficult to complete? No, it's, you know, I, I it's funny because I found a whole bunch of George Brett collectors via Twitter and all of a sudden they're coming out of the woodwork, and it's like, where have you guys been? Are you guys the ones I'm battling for with these cards? Right. Um, but it's, it's nice because a lot of people are, like, anything George Brett pops up uh, 
you know, I'm getting tagged in and saying, hey, have you seen this card? Have you seen this card? This guy's trading this. And um, it's not been super difficult. Um, even at local card sh- shows, that's what I love the most because no one looks at the Royals or looks back at those 80s cards or the 70s cards of Brighton Cares. And so I'm able to swoop up a bunch of them for 10 or 20 cents a, a piece, which has been awesome. So with, with that being said, do you have a f- – other than his rookie card, obviously, but do you have a favorite George Brett? Uh, yeah, I would have to say probably my favorite is the uh, 90, 94 tops, which is the the last year he has a card. It's him swinging the bat, and it's because they had like a pre-production card of it. It was right as he was retiring. He didn't play the 94 season. Uh, that's probably one of my favorite cards. And then also, two would be the 87 um, tops, and that's just because that's the first year I collected. Sure. And that's, that means so much to me, and I, I – you know, that's how really what got me into the hobby. And that's probably, those are probably my two of my favorite, besides his rookie card, favorite cards. So I actually, I have a favorite George Brett card. Uh, it's the 1992 Upper Deck Robin Yount George Brett SP5 with, with yeah. George on one side and, and Yount on the other. I remember actually pulling that from a pack at a, it was at a Walmart. It was, I was at a Walmart, just came out of the store and I opened the pack and I pulled it and it, I, like, I cherished that card for so long. It, you can pick it up now for, you know, two bucks or under. And you, if you go to a card show, you could probably find it for less than that. But it was, it's such a, it's such a great card. It kind of looks like it's on newspaper and I just, I just loved it so much. So I wanted to share with you that that's my, actually my favorite George Brett card. And then I'm also partial to the uh, 1990 tops George Brett, just because of how funky that design was. I, and I love the, 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 how the blue fades into the white and uh, around the border. I just really love that. Um, it's, he's such a popular player. Like you said that, you know, you, you find other people coming out of the woodwork saying they're collecting this. So with that being said, are you helping other guys collect George Brett? Are you sending them off like doubles maybe that you have of other ones or are you hoarding those off for yeah. yourself? I try, I hoard as many as I can, but there've been a few instances where I've, I've let a few Bretts go to somebody that was in need of one that I had a few of. And when I talk a few, probably like 30 or 40, <laughs> um, uh, I even helped uh, one of my buddies, Ben, who, who does the podcast with me. I actually, uh, gave him a 79 Brett to help him build his 79 set. And that's our birth year set. Uh, and that's probably in the top five of his, my favorite cards of his. And so I gave him one of those, uh, to help finish that set. So there's a handful of people that have Brett cards for me in their collections now, but so, it, it's rare. It's rare. It's rare. <laughs> Let's talk about the rest of the Royals team. Cause you, I mean, as you mentioned, he was, he was the Royal that everybody cared about back then. Let's talk specifically about Bo Jackson. As Bo Jackson comes around an 86 tops and then 87 tops with a rookie. How do you remember as a kid, how Bo Jackson was received uh, with, with KC fans? Oh yeah, that, that, especially that 87 tops card could have been traded for uh, a 1968 um, Mustang uh, when I was <laughs> wow. a kid, uh, because that's how much how much value we placed on that card. Uh, even more than I think the 86 tops traded was was valuable, but that 87 cause it, the tops had with that future star um, text on there. It just it looked very cool. Even today, I remember you know though, that card was was the the card of that set and of that era for a long time, and he was like superhuman to all of us. And sure, we watch you watch him play football, and then you watch him play baseball, and you're like, this guy is. Not of this world. If there was a Superman on Earth, it was Bo, and back then it was Bo Jackson. He was, uh, man, he was so fun to watch. Uh, I yeah. love. I've talked about it before, but that thirty for thirty on Bo, I kind of believe that he actually jumped over that car the way they talked about it. Like it's just yeah, no. When he's sitting there shooting a bow, uh, a crossbow with his feet, yeah, that's nuts. Um, just, just yeah, you're not. You're beyond. He's maybe not Superman, but he's not human. He's somewhere in between. Like, I, I don't know. He's an Avenger of some kind, I guess. Right. <laughs> so I, I want to ask about this, and we'll get back to the cards, I, I promise. But um, Coffin Stadium, did you enjoy games there as a kid? I know you were saying that you had to drive up for photo day, but did you enjoy games uh, at Coffin Stadium? Yes. The waterfalls, you know, I haven't been there in, in oh, you know, 30 years, but – the waterfalls out there. That was a, I remember being a very cool and fun park to watch a game. You know, I've known they've done some updates in the last few years uh, to the outfield, adding some more seats. And 
but I love the fact that it's still says Kauffman Stadium. It's not, you know, Walmart Park or anything like that. It's named for the founding owner. They've kind of they're playing in the same stadium um, pretty much since day one, and uh, it's it's been. I always remember it's a really good place to go and, and watch a game. You know, I'm blessed out here. We have uh, I guess now Oracle Park or as we you know it used to be AT and T Park here for the Giants, which is one of the most probably one of the better modern stadiums, but. The sight lines at Kaufman, I remember, were always really good and a fun place to, to go see a baseball game. I've I've never actually been in Kaufman Stadium. I've driven past it plenty of times, but uh, never got to go into uh, into the stadium itself. But what I remember the most about the 80s Royals in, into the 90s was like that AstroTurf was almost neon green, it seemed like, especially coming yeah. through the television yeah. screen. And the way it yes. the way it would bounce off the Astro the ball would bounce off the AstroTurf and then roll for, you know, two hundred yards was was insane to me. Growing up here in Texas, we, we had we had, you know, regular grass and we had Nolan Ryan and, you know, there was Arlington Stadium and it was it was nice, but that AstroTurf was almost majestic to me. Yeah, and I think that also helped Brett's uh, career numbers with like some doubles, sure, maybe even some triples because he was not the fastest guy later in his career, but he was still putting up some numbers, and I think that turf might have uh, extended some of his hits. <laughs> it probably did. So you you said earlier that you're you're trying to get a a card of each of his from from his playing career. What about after that? What about after his playing career? Because he's been on plenty of cardboard since. Are you still chasing those, or, or is that something for a later date? Yeah, you know, when I looked at it, it was like, hey, get one of every card of his. And then I saw that he had maybe, I think it's three or four times the number of cards from 95 uh, to current than he did when he played from 75 through 90, you know, if you count 94. Mm -hmm. And it was insane to me how much was out there currently. And a lot of it uses similar photos and stuff like that. So I don't actively seek out and trade for it or buy it. But if I come across it and someone's like, hey, I have this pile of breaths, you know, all, and those are included, I definitely take them. They're just not, um, I'm not currently like cataloging them. I, I'm setting them aside and, you know, that'll get to a, a certain time and date I'll get to get to those. Um, and then sometimes when like the, the relics or those things pop off and uh, Top's flagship, uh, when they have medallion cards, I'll buy those just so, uh, you know, I have them because um, I usually find those pretty cool. Sure. Um, but I'm not actively trying to run those down what all right so let's talk about the royals project because on your website you do have a you have your george brett pc then you have the royals project what is that so that started out as getting uh every team set of the royals since their inception since so since 69 okay through now and i'm complete currently from 74 or no, i'm sorry 75 through you know series one here of 19 and i'm still working on the uh the, you know the 69 through 74 sets and it was just to get every copy copy of every top uh base card that they launched they released of the team set that was available in their flagship or traded or updated product and uh, it's since then it's, it's expanding now and uh i probably have about 15 or twenty thousand royals cards to sort through now i want to do the uh the fleer run the upper deck run, the score run, uh, stadium club run, uh, and uh, and have those for uh, add those to my Royals collection as well. Okay, all right. Now I want to switch gears here since you are out there in California and Sacramento, and you you also have a Buster Posey PC. I the obvious question is why, but I mean he's he's one hell of a baseball player. That's why. So, but what made you start this 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 PC? Yeah, so the big thing was when I moved here, you know, we had, you know, my dad's like, we need a baseball team to go root for because this is what's going to be on TV. You know, we didn't, you know, satellite wasn't really a thing yet until, you know, we could have at the house. And it's the Giants and the A's. Well, I hated the A's because they used to, for so many years, they were, you know, before the wild card, they were beating the Royals out for the division. They used to be in the West Division together. And um, I like, you know, my first year living out here was on the Giants Little League team. So it made sense. Let's be a Giants fan. Mm -hmm. And and Root for the Giants is our new local team, and I still love the, the Royals. And so, you know, I you know, I first heard and saw Buster Posey coming up, just his personality and who the guy he was reminded me of George Brett. Like he was their guy, like he was gonna be their figure and he, he continued to be and so it was kind of one of those things like with my son, like 
you know, that, you know, Posey's about halfway through his career, if not farther along, and that could be his guy. And so I wanted to kind of build it for him as well as for me, something we could share. Sure. So it was really hard. My friends always ask me, like, hey, if the Royals ever made it to the World Series, I think this was 2010 or 11, you know, the Giants just won a series. If they ever played together against each other, who are you going for in the World Series? And I was like, it's always going to be the Royals. You know, I don't care if they're playing the Giants. And so they were playing my mom. It's the Royals. <laughs> That's who I'm rooting for to win the World Series. So when they played in 14, that was insane because my birthday happened uh, – on game six, where the Royals blew them out. Okay. And then game seven, when they lost, uh, was in, my I lost my grandpa on, on uh, the 27th of October. My birthday was the 28th, and so we got back from Kansas on the on the late on the 27th, and you know I was just disheartened. And my birthday's coming up, but my grandpa's gone, and the Royals and Giants are playing, and um, we watched the first few games together, which was amazing. And so when they blew them out, I was like. Oh, they're going to win the World Series. They're going to beat the Giants, and then they end up. Bum Gardner came in and took care of them, but they end up winning the next year. And I remember when they won in '85. I have the memory of them winning in '15, and, and it was kind of bittersweet in '14 because I was happy for the Giants, but sad for the Royals. So it's kind of, you know it's been kind of a roller coaster of emotions. But a lot of World Series games I've watched in the last handful of years. You said a lot of stuff there, but the I want to I want to hone in what you said about your grandfather. You got to watch some of that world series with him. Yeah. Take me back to that. Like, take me back to those emotions. Did you, or, this is a tough question. I'm sorry, but did, did you, were you aware that he was in the final days? Yeah, we got, we got a call from my uncle, um, a week or so before and said, Hey, listen, you know, and, and my, you know, my dad said, Hey, we need to go back. And, uh, my sisters and I, my dad, my mom wasn't able to, to come out with us at the time. So we flew out to Kansas, and we got to spend five or six days with him. And we all knew that he was it was close because he he had um, some issues going on. He's like, you know what, guys, I'm 85 years old. I've lived a great life. I don't want to do this treatment because it's just going to prolong my pain. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I just want to go out on my own terms. And we said, you know what, you, you bat- he beat cancer twice. He had a massive heart attack when he was 50. Um, and he lived through all of that. And you know what? We were good with it. We went back, and there was one night in particular I remember, and we were all there, and we stayed kind of late. It was like 2 or 3 in the morning, and he was in the – he liked being in his recliner because it was the best spot for him, most comfortable. And he goes, woke up. He goes, what are you all still doing here? And it was really clear. He hadn't been very clear with his speaking. Sure. And we said, you know, we're here to love you and spend time with your grandpa. He goes, well – well, I'm not dying tonight, damn it. You all can go home. I'll see you tomorrow and kick us all out. <laughs> and it was great because it was his personality that came out. And, um, you know, we got the – he was alert during the game, uh, a couple of the games, and I got to spend a Sunday of NFL football with him as well. And it, it's good memories because it's like, you know, hey, he got to say goodbye to us. And the, the best thing the – the, not the best thing, but the funniest thing was is that we all were leaving on the 27th. I believe it was a Monday. And we're at the airport, and my aunt had been gone, drove, gone back to Kansas City. My uncle went back to work and lived in town. And, the, and his nursing home called and said, he just passed. He waited for all of us to leave his, his place so he could leave. He didn't want us to be there. Like, he didn't want us to be there. Wow. And um, it was kind of one of those things like, you know, I saw everybody. I loved everybody. Okay, now it's my time. I can do this on my own. And uh, – you know, he lived a great life. He was a high school football and athletic director for, for a long time in Wichita. Uh, even coached Barry Sanders for his junior year in high school and uh, helped him to get to Oklahoma State. So uh, he was a great man, touched so many lives. And, uh, you know, so I miss him. But good times is what I remember. That's a great story, man. And I, what I was going to ask, and you covered it, was like, it, it just, it just those those must be special moments being able to sit down and watch a game with them, and you know you said you got to share an NFL Sunday with them. That's beautiful that you got to do that. That's that's really that's really cool. Um, I getting getting choked up a little bit. I didn't get to do that with my grandfather. I wish I would have, man. I, I envy that about you. That's really cool. But you said he he coached Barry Sanders, and that will bring us to your Barry Sanders PC. To tell us why that's important to you. Yeah, I mean he, I got to meet him. Um, 
you know, right after he won the Heisman in 88, and I believe it was in the January of 89, they did a big thing for him at the high school. It was actually out of Wichita State. They had a game, and I was a ball boy for the basketball team, and I got to hold his Heisman and shake his hand, get an autograph, take a picture, all that stuff. But he was like, I didn't really watch football up until then. And when he got drafted by the Lions, I instantly was a Lions fan <laughs> and rooted for him, I, you know, for his entire career and the ups and downs of how terrible that they were when he was there, but the brilliance he put on the field. And, you know, um, he's not always like, there's not always been um, the best, uh, I guess like the, the story that my grandpa didn't want to play in a running back. There's a long story behind it, but it was one of those things like still, even that like Barry's been such a, a good humanitarian in Wichita and in Detroit and seeing what he's done and coming from Wichita, we haven't had a bunch of big stars and Lynette Woodard, is probably the only other one people are going to know. She was the first female uh, globetrotter. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa was there, her athletic director, when she was in high school. And she actually came to see him one of his final days. And I got to sit down and talk with her. And that was amazing. And um, some of the kids, all these kids he's touched that came back uh, and reached out to our family in that time. And, and where they are today was a, uh, was a great tribute. And Barry, you know, being one and uh, just seeing what he's done. And it's pretty impressive to say my grandpa helped him out when he was a kid. And what he became as a man. That's really cool, man. That's uh, yep. it's a, it's a fabulous story. All right, man, I want to be a, a good steward of your time. So I'm going to uh, go ahead and, and get back upstairs and let you get back to work. But uh, thank you so much for, for hopping on with me. This really meant more to me than, than you probably realize. I just really appreciate it. Well, Eric, I, I appreciate the time and uh, you know, in, in, in calling me and hanging out today for a little bit. It's been great, and uh, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, before you get out of here, man, uh, let my guys know where they can find you on social media and where they can find the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm at BigShep79 on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Um, you can listen to our, our podcast is on Wednesday nights uh, at 8 o'clock Pacific Coast time. Uh, we're at About the Cards on Twitter. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, all those fun things. Uh, we, we broadcast so it's on YouTube live, so you can check it out there at About the Cards. What do you Appreciate got? Com- what do you got coming up this week? Uh, we're talking some new releases. Uh, we're talking. We're finishing up our iconic collection where we pick the best card from every team, uh, and we have our division winners. And we're going to talk about that. So, like, just a sneak preview, like the fifty-two mantles in there. But did Trout beat out the eighty-nine Griffey from the AL West? We'll see. Um, so we have some fun debates about that. Awesome, guys. Go make sure you check them out uh, live on YouTube, uh, 10 p.m. Central, if you can work that into your schedule uh, at About the Cards. Thanks so much again, Shep. Hang tight, guys, and we'll be right back. A quick reminder that this week's show is brought to you by Badger Breaks. Find them on Facebook by searching for Badger Breaks, or just check out their website, badgerbreaks.com, to get involved in some of the best breaks in the hobby. This is Joan Garcia, Toy Super Collective, and you're listening to the Fat Packs. All right, coming up next here on the Fat Packs podcast is, I believe, a first-time guest. I don't believe I've ever had him on before. This is Lou, owner of Sports Card Exchange. And uh, interestingly enough, we were having a discussion on Twitter the other day, and we're running a poll. And it looks like right now baseball is going to actually win the poll. However, Lou's got some great insight on the strengths of the hockey card market with, with a one hell of a Connor McDavid collection going on right now. Lou, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Eric. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks so much for being able to join me, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, we juggled this time around a couple of times this week, but we got we got it locked down here. Um, as I mentioned, we have a poll going on on our Twitter page right now, uh, and the question is is simple enough. If you were starting in the hobby today, what what sport would you start collecting? Uh, baseball is winning by a landslide at 57%, but as you know very well, the hockey card market is just kind of killing things right now especially with Connor mcdavid uh tell tell us how tell us why you know that well i i think um you know if, if most people tend to do their studying you know with regard to you know buying players that they like or you know buying cards and sports that they follow quite a bit and quite honestly uh you know mcdavid was i think he's a generational talent in hockey and i kind of liken him to mike trout in baseball so for your modern collectors, you know, who love, uh, you know, their various individual sports that they follow, McDavid, you know, certainly is transcending both the hobby and the sport regarding his, 
you know, regarding his talent. And you've already seen him come right out of the gate and win uh, back-to-back Art Ross trophies. He's won an MVP, and he's won back-to-back Ted Lindsay awards. So I think when when you look at what he's done all prior to age 22, it's pretty impressive. Um, and, and you look at the prices, and I think the, the hobbyists are following along and saying, yeah, we believe in this kid. It's... I guess I should have I should have asked this question first, but you don't you don't like work at Upper Deck or anything like that, right? You're not just trying to push the Connor McJesus thing out there for for Upper Deck branding, <laughs> right? It, this is this is I, I I kid, but I understand this is you know purely of your own accord. However, man, you've had some success with McDavid. Do, is just I want to back off McDavid for a moment. Just, are there other guys out there in the hockey market that are like anywhere near as strong that you think, or like with Pedersen this season or, or Carter Hart, or is McDavid really driving it? So, uh, no, I don't work for upper deck. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not pushing the narrative. I promise. Um, Pedersen is gaining traction for sure. I remember, uh, you and I broke, uh, spoke briefly about him at the expo. Right. But I, I actually think that, the, the next one to really push a lot of strength is going to be Mitch Marner. I think his prices have started to rise a bit, you know, a bit, although they're still not, you know, on the same kind of par as Austin Matthews. But in my humble opinion, Marner's the best all around player on the Maple Leafs. And I suspect you'll see him, you know, going forward, uh, you know, trying to take the reins a little bit and, and, and start to see his prices rise. As far as other guys that are pretty strong in pricing, I mean, obviously, Sidney Crosby, who just got his 1,200th point, I think, last night. Mm-hmm. Um, he just set the modern record at, at a live auction uh, through PWCC. His three-colored RPA, BGS 9.5, got 80,287 uh, USD, I believe, wow. um, which easily outpaced the PSA 10 McDavid, which got 55, 655 um, about a year ago. Wow. And then uh, I still think there's opportunity, but uh, Alex Ovechkin really should be trading stronger in the hobby than he is. Uh, I think his jersey numbered 8 to 99 RPA just got about 30,000 uh, American. But I mean, that card, you know, it was four colored in a BGS 9. I mean, I really want to believe that longer term, that's a $50,000, $60,000 card just because of his greatness. Do you think that there, I don't know, there seems to be some love-hate with him in the hobby, uh, and, and, and like, if you're a Caps fan, you love him, and if you don't, you kind of love Sidney Crosby. Do you think that's fair to say? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I, I think there's, from what I've been told and the research that I've done, is that there seems to be a lot of contempt for some of the Russian players because in the past, they've left the NHL, gone back to the KHL, um, and it, it's hurt some of the, the hobbyists who have you know, collected like Kovachug and some of the others. So sure. I think there's been a little bit of, I don't know, maybe resentment you know, from the hobbyists, um, and it's, it's, caused, you know, it's caused his prices to just not be where they they should be relative to what he's accomplished in the sport. I mean, he's very, very close to winning another Rocket Richard. I mean, he's got multiple MVPs. He's got a cup now. He's got a Conn Smythe. I mean, and, you know, even if it's still a little bit of a ways away, he has a very solid shot of breaking Gretzky's goal record. Right. He sure does. He He's a guy that I struggle with personally when it comes to pricing because Man, he seems to go through this like these really hot and cold stretches in the hobby, and I I don't quite understand it because like like you just mentioned, he's he's right on the heels of that of that points record. He's not far away. He's got a shot. Uh, looking at this, he's uh see, he's at eleven ninety seven. Crosby's at twelve hundred, and it's he's he's not he's not far. You know, he's uh it's it's really crazy. And Malkin is another guy that um I think he takes a backseat to Crosby as well. But he's he's right there with Ovi that I think he should be he should be more respected in the hobby. Yeah, you know, and truth be told, I think that these are just some of the items, you know, or some of the issues that maybe hold hockey back a little bit, you know, as far as other collectors would be concerned, because you know, some of this star power 
isn't being regularly appreciated, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, inside the hobby. I mean, obviously, there, there's a couple of big Ovechkin collectors out there, you know, who probably hoard quite a bit of stuff. But, I mean, if, like, if that was Crosby's 87 of 99, and it was, say, two or three colors, you know, in a nine, nine and a half, I mean, that card, I, I mean, I want to believe, you know, that that card would, would have broken $100,000. And, you know, quite honestly, I mean, and I get it. I mean, Crosby is a center, you know, he does more, but, um, I mean, just what Ovechkin does year in, year out, and that consistency is pretty amazing. And the other thing I thought <laughs> might drive the price a little bit is he had, what were they calling it, the summer of Ovi, where he just showed up everywhere, and he was just drunk all the time. And sure. he was doing all these hilarious, you know, like camera videos, and he's like swimming in ponds, and, you know, like I thought maybe that would bring him a little bit more mainstream. So I, I was a little disappointed at the 30k but nonetheless um i still think it's uh, i still think he's a guy that has lots of room for growth you know inside the hobby um you know and and, and there's also a really important psa8 uh gordy howe auction coming up i want to say it's on golden um next month so keep an eye out for that as well awesome so that is a psa8 gordy howe you said yeah Holy and smoke. i think the last two that i've seen that ran through PWCC were somewhere between like forty five and forty seven thousand. Oh, wow. So the the market has been strong uh, both for vintage and for modern for the you know for the really absolute stud players. Sure. Um, and I, I anticipate that'll continue. I, I would think so too, man. With with sales like you know the Jordan a couple of weeks ago and the and the Brady uh, last week, it's. I think it's only going up as as I know that guys don't like this, but as this is investing in sports cards is almost like a stock market. It's um, it's crazy, and hobbyists are getting you know really savvy about what they're doing, and grading plays such an important role in that. What it's I know that you have a, a stud collection, and they're and what you have out there is graded and is beautiful. But just in your opinion, and I know it's stating the obvious, but how much more do you think a card value goes up if it's graded, uh, graded nicely? You know, be it vintage or, or or modern. Well, you know, I have to say, in in hockey in particular, um, I do see a lot of raw cards, and and I, I suspect that's because you know of the sort of the, you know, the importing and the customs fees and things like that. So at the Expo, um, I, I probably saw a lot more raw cards than I anticipated or, or that you would see versus something, you know, say at the National. To answer your question, I think that, you know, if a, if a really high-end card, um, you know, like an RPA or limited logos or something to that effect, you know, with a, with a short print number, if it's graded a 9 or higher with a 10 auto, and the card looks clean. Um, I think you can you can add twenty to thirty percent uh, onto onto that number pretty easily. I, I think so too. And it's it's funny that you, we've mentioned the expo a couple times. I, I do remember speaking to you there, obviously, because that was a great conversation. But at the expo, uh, you, you see PSA there grading. You see you know Beckett there's grading, and then you see KSA. And I don't I don't want to knock on KSA or Mint, but like when those guys are are putting cards on the market, they're not carrying quite the value that, that say, a, B, a BGS or a PSA will, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's – I'm again, that's stating the obvious, but I don't understand why sometimes collectors will go to even – it sounds like I'm knocking them – like go to a KSA or a Mint or a GMA when you know that they're that like what you have is a, is a high-dollar card. Why not just go with one of the best in the industry? It, it is beyond uh, – it's – I just I just don't understand it. I don't get it. Um, I'll I'll get off my soapbox there. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your other your other. Let's talk about ba- uh, basketball for a minute, if you will, because basketball is really the one th- is the sport that if I were starting today, I would jump in on, it's because of the international market and it's so loved around the world. What what are your thoughts about the basketball market cur- currently? Yeah, I think there's no question that the modern basketball market is the most global liquid market in the hobby. Uh, and I'd say it's probably by a, a pretty wide margin. With that said, 
I do believe that there is global money, specifically Chinese money, that is entering uh, the other three sports slowly but surely. Uh, I've seen it in baseball. I, I see, like, I see McDavid cards in Hong Kong. Uh, I see Crosby cards, you know, f- across the globe as well. So, but, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I mean, obviously, I think if if money is the motive, then basketball, specifically modern basketball, I think is where is, is where it is. Um, you know, I think that super high end cards, RPAs, logo mans. Things like that are so revered and loved, and I, you know, obviously, you just saw the the Jordan uh, altered PMG green went for three hundred fifty thousand. Right. So, you know, some of these guys, you know, have their own brands. You know, they're they're international icons. So, your LeBrons, your MJs, Kobe's, you know, guys like that. I mean, those cards will be forever treasured, and um, you know, they're probably once in a lifetime opportunities when they come to market. I, man, they they sure are, and again, that um, specifically that 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 uh, Chinese market that 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 money that's flooding coming into the sports card market is unbelievable. It's such it's such a big deal that you know PSA has opened up a submission uh, uh, facility over there. I I believe that there are talks about card shows heading over there. That market is so volatile to what we're doing as a whole and in the hobby it's i don't think people quite understand it yet because just for me and working where i work and doing what i do i know i i kind of take a take it with a grain of salt or i used to take it with a grain of salt when i saw a huge sell say a Connor mcdavid uh out of the out of the chinese market but then i had to step back because there were so many of them i'm like you know maybe this might be legit do you think that there's still some of that um some of that maybe standoffness or leeriness when you see a, a big card come out of the Chinese market that, that is questionable, or do you think that it is actually becoming one of the legit markets? I, I think it's an extremely legitimate market. Um, to, with this said, there's definitely still a bit of standoffishness. I mean, what I try to do on social media is just to get a gauge of where people's heads are, and, and it kind of helps me determine maybe the state of the hobby at any particular time is, you know, I'll run, you know, random polls, you know, just putting stuff out there saying, Hey, you know, what do you think of this player versus this player or who's better? Who's going to sell for more, et cetera, et cetera. But then I also make sure to post pretty much every headline article out there. So like when the break, when the big Brady just sold for 400,000, you know, the Jordan sold for three fifty, Crosby sold for 80, um, I post every single thing that I can find, and I just watch the comments come in. And I think there's still quite a bit of skepticism, um, you know, from outsiders, you know, or people that aren't as in, engaged in the card hobby. I think especially the game-used people, um, they're very skeptical, I guess, of, sure. of cards. Uh, you know, and, you know, they see a jersey or a, a glove or a bat or a stick, you know, as being the, the true piece of history, you know, versus, you know, quote, a piece of cardboard with uh, with an autograph on it or, or something to that effect. So I think I think when those people start to come around and, and understand, I, I think, what's happening in the hobby and that collectors are starting to view cards more as art as opposed to just a piece of cardboard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you're starting to see these prices being fetched. I think there's the next three four years will probably be pretty exciting for the hobby, assuming that there's no, you know, maybe maybe like global economic recession, you know, that would hamper things. But I'm pretty bullish right now. Um, I, I think I think global money, just like you would you you would see with stock and bond markets, will only help the the card market flourish for the next several years. I think so too. So with that being said, I want to ask you. Um, a follow-up here. Who do you think the next guy is up? I mean, not uh, just across all the all the four sports that are you know heavily traded, and you know obviously there's there's golf and racing and stuff, but that's not. I don't think that's as heavily traded as, as hockey, football, baseball, and basketball. Who do you think the next guy is? I mean, outside of we have Luca this year that's just dominating everything. Who's the next guy? Zion Williamson, I think, is uh, whether or not he's got 
you know, all the skills, you know, remains to be seen because it's tough to step into the step into the league at eighteen, nineteen. But um, man, I, I think I think the hype train is going to be big on him, and you know, from what I've seen, he looks. I mean, he can you know he can do it all. Um, not you know he may not be like a three point weapon, but the thing that impresses me is he's. I mean, obviously beyond his physical stature is. The kid, the kid's got the fundamentals. I mean, like he knocks down free throws at a good clip. Um, you know, he can shoot. You know, he's not like Ben Simmons where he's limited to like five feet. He can shoot. You know, from the outside, little mid-range jumper. He can run the floor. He's built like a tank. So, I suspect you'll see some crazy numbers on him as soon as his uh, first pro pro uni cards are released. You know, that's a name that was obviously on the tip of my tongue. Uh, I was hesitant to say it because. I know that the card market is, is, or people in the industry are are afraid that he's going to get locked up to an exclusive, and um, if that happens, I don't think that would be great for for anybody involved. The other name that came to mind, and I wanted to ask you about, is in, in the baseball market is is Vlad Guerrero Jr. I mean, we've been he- hearing about this kid for for a couple of years now, but with his potential rookie cards coming in the twenty nineteen season, what do you think he's going to do? Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm not a big prospector in terms of you know the quote Bowman Chrome market. Um, so with that said, I'm probably not the right person to ask. Sure, uh, I do. I do check in, you know, quite a bit with um, you know with my Canadian collectors, you know, and obviously with him being in Toronto, uh, you know, they're pretty bullish on him. My understanding is that he's going to get the Chris Bryant treatment where right. they'll leave him in the minors, uh, you know, through the first couple of weeks in the year so that they'll control his, control his contract and keep him away from free agency for another year. But just from what I've read on the scouting reports, it seems like he's about a year away. Okay. I got you. I got you. He's a, uh, he, I do believe we've been reading the same things. He's, he's going to get that Chris, Chris Bryant treatment. It's probably going to upset him just like it upset Chris Bryant. But I think when he, his rookie cards actually hit the hobby, it's going to be really, really hot for, for a few weeks there. Just like, you know, last year was with, with, uh, Acuna and Soto and, and those guys when they, when they hit the uh, rookie card market. Um, I got I'm looking through your website, man. It's very, very well put together. You have your Tom Brady section, your Connor McDavid section, and but I want to ask you about another baseball player as I flip through your um, flip through your cards that you have available for sale here is uh, is Ricky Henderson man you you seem to have a lot of Ricky or were you a Ricky collector at one time or is there is there a story behind this? He was my favorite player growing up. Okay, um, and I had a unique opportunity to make a trade uh, for that PSA ten rookie, and knowing that it's uh, pop twenty two. And it doesn't seem like the pop count has changed much in the last several years. I took an opportunity to grab it because it's just one of my favorite cards. Um, uh, you know, and, and in my opinion, uh, although he held on a little bit, you know, too long at the end, and perhaps that's what has depressed some of the pricing, um, you know, perhaps of where he should be. But I mean, when you look at his statistics, stolen bases, walks, runs scored multiple World Series championships. I mean, he's the greatest leadoff hitter in, in Major League Baseball history. And, yeah, I'm a big, big Ricky fan, um, and, I, and I hope to continue to acquire, you know, PSA 10 only. I think I have his first six years uh, of cards in PSA 10s, um, and, you know, that's really what I'm trying to do is continue to just pick them up here and there. And, you know, as you go along later, I mean, they're not very expensive. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, you know, continues to um, – you know, it, it's easy to add when I'm focused on it. I guess is what I'm saying. I got you. But yeah, I love Ricky Henderson. One, one of my favorites forever. Absolutely. And then uh, another card that I that I see that I just uh, I love I love it so much is the sixty six the sixty six Bobby Orr rookie. Uh, it's, that card's iconic. What have you noticed in the last I don't I'd say five years about that card in the market? I think it, it's taken a big jump forward, obviously, but I mean. You have one. You have one here. It says sold out on your website. So obviously you used to have it. But what do you think that mark that card has meant to the hockey card market in the last five years? Oh man, that I mean, I think it's supplanted Gordie Howe uh, easily as the most as sort of like the face of the 
sort of uber vintage market. I mean, obviously, I understand that Gretzky is what it is, and you know, in 1979, he's now you know pure vintage. But Bobby Orr, you know, it's good that you asked that because you probably saw that he did that. Um, he did 204,000 at auction for that Test USA Bobby yep, Orr. Exactly. It was the it was the PSA nine highest graded pop one, and you know, there was only a hundred cards of his rookie that were um, made in America, and that was the highest graded, and it went for the biggest number. I mean, that was a really exciting auction for hockey fans. I I actually thought it went a little bit light. I, I thought I thought it would push closer to two seventy five. So, you know, um, I, I wish I was liquid, you know, to do it when it when the auction was running. But um, yeah, I mean, what a great card, and I, I thought that one was perfect, you know, to really hit a nice six-figure number, you know, to show hockey people like, hey, just besides Gretzky, there's other cards out there that you can invest in that have some really huge upside. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, I I'd love to see Gordie Howe hit, hit 100000 soon. I, you know, I think it's going to happen. I, uh, that he that production line, especially with, with Ted Lindsay passing recently, the the production line uh, is is going to be popular again in the market, uh, whether we like we like to talk about that or not. I and mean, people think it's taboo to 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 mention buying cards of somebody who recently passed. But with the recent deaths of Ted Lindsay just just a, a couple days ago, and you know Gordy Howe a couple years ago, he he was the last of the production line. So I think on a whole that all of those cards of the of the production line guys are going to actually take a bump in the in the next say year year and a half or so it's going to be fun to watch the hockey market so uh, i want to ask you this before before we get you out of here Could, i know i know what my poll says my poll says it's 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 baseball um and then basketball and football are tied and hockey is fourth on the market but if just for your money just for your opinion what do you think the how collectors should be investing their money uh in if they were starting today Go ahead and rank it all four for me. Yeah, I mean, if you're just going down the list, um, money-wise, I think it would be basketball first, baseball second, hockey third, and football distant fourth. Um, I think hockey gives you quite a bit more value, you know, than football. Um, football, I mean, really all you can do in, in football is invest in quarterbacks, you know, that have been around for, you know, for a decent period of time. Um you know, the, the shortness of the careers, you know, is, is definitely an issue, you know, in the NFL. And um, you know, quite honestly, I mean, the hobby just doesn't respect, you know, other position players. I mean, look, look at Jerry Rice, for example. I mean, the guy's got almost nearly 23,000 yards, clearly the one of the greatest players um, ever to lace him up and um, obviously the best of his position. And, I mean, he trades for pennies, you know, relative to – you know, other quarterbacks, you know, I mean, even like somebody like a Patrick Mahomes out sells Jerry Rice three to one. So in hockey, um, I think you have obviously the prospect market, but, you know, two-way centers are are at a premium. I mean, those guys, you know, certainly are going to get and command the biggest money, and I think that that's where the hobbyists um, really enjoy, you know, what they're watching. The other thing I think goes a little unnoticed and maybe a little not talked about, but I think the recent um, deals that both the, I want to say it was the NBA and the NHL put together with MGM Grand and, and, the, uh, and the betting markets, uh-huh. I think will grow both of those sports even more exponentially than they already are. But, I mean, specifically for hockey, which is sort of viewed as, you know, the fourth of the four major sports, I think that it's going to attract a ton of Chinese money. Um, and and it, it also doesn't hurt that the Olympics are there in 2022. So for all the hockey enthusiasts out there, I mean, you've got to like the fact that, um, you know, China's pouring $300 billion into the sport uh, in, in advance of the Olympics. Gretzky is the um, sort of the global ambassador between the NHL and China, you know, in advance of the Olympics. And I'm pretty sure... Yarmir Yager is, I almost want to say, like he's on site in China regularly um, making sure that there's leagues coming up, they're, they're growing the sport, rinks are being built correctly. So, like, all the star power in the NHL 
um, faces of the past are really involved in growing this sport overseas. So I, I think there's a lot of upside for um, a lot of today's generational players. And, and I do think that, you know, with the Chinese market loving logo man cards and high quality patch cards, upper deck who makes the best cards and has the best brands, it should only benefit hockey for the long term. I mean, because all the brands that everybody loves in in NBA, i.e., exquisite, they're. I mean, it's all in hockey. Limited logos, emblems of endorsements, you know, exquisite shields. I mean, it's all there. I mean, and the cards are absolutely stunning. So, you know, it's just a matter of you know getting more people to take interest, you know, and kind of care about what's going on. And I, I think that'll be done through gambling. Yeah, I think so too. All right, man. Um, I got to get back up to work. I want to say thank you so much for jumping on with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I said at the beginning of the interview, this was your first time. I meant the first time on the phone. Uh, we we did obviously speak in in Toronto. Um, am I going to see you up in Toronto in May? Absolutely, my friend. I'll, I'll be there. I'm setting up with Karn again and the Big Three, so I'll, I'll be there. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Uh, before we get you out of here, tell my guys uh, where they can find you on social media, and you have a page on Facebook too. Let them know about that. Yeah, I appreciate it, Eric. So on Facebook and eBay um, and my website, it's all Sports Card Exchange. So it's S-P-O-R-T-S-C-A-R-D exchange.com. And then on Instagram, I'm just L-G-P Sports Cards. So, you know, I try to post and and do all that other stuff on there so you can kind of see what's going on regularly. And and I'll leave you with this that uh, I think I had mentioned to you, the McDavid Shield went for a hundred thousand US on eBay. Uh huh. That's insane. So, it's hockey insane. Cards, <laughs> hockey cards are here, and they're bringing big money, my friend. Yes, they are. Uh, absolutely. All right, guys. I want to thank everybody for hanging out this week. I really appreciate it. Until next week, just keep listening. Cue the Drake. <laughs> <laughs>